church, how are you today? Good, it is a privilege to be here with you. You guys always inspire me. It's a blessing to come back, to get to hang out with you guys, to see what God's doing at Journey Church. This is my first time in your new sanctuary. This is awesome. It's pretty sweet. You guys did a fantastic job. But honestly, I just want to celebrate you. I congratulate you. Every time I come, I see growth. Um, not just new faces, not just a new building. But today, as I was worshiping with you, just uh, the worship team did phenomenal. Uh, thank God for the worship team and, and just the sensitivity in our worship as we sought the Lord. And we heard a word of prophecy today uh, or interpretation of tongues. We say yes to the work and move of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So I just celebrate you. Uh, my name is Carlos, for those who don't know me, and I'm a friend of Ken and Aaron and of Journey Church, and uh, it's just a privilege for, for me to be here with you. My wife and my kids had ministry responsibilities, so you guys just get to put up with me, okay? Just the ugly side, but you know, praise the Lord. So you go with me to Matthew chapter 22. I want to talk to you today about the invitation. I'm going to chat with you about the invitation, an invitation that demands a response, an invitation from our king. Now, most of us receive invitations all the time, invitations to things that we should probably say no to, right? Maybe you get invited to take part in some timeshare. They're going to send you to Disney, and it's going to be wonderful, but they're going to arrest you for like a whole day. We're going to try to, try to sell you everything. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I got invited to the Honda dealership. They said to me, you know what, Carlos, we're going to take your Honda van and we're going to give you almost double what it's worth. You know, we just want to get you into another vehicle. It's time. I said, it is time. Come on. Jesus, I'll receive. And I went. And when I went, would you believe it? It was a scam, right? They, they, wanted, they would give me almost double what my van was worth, but I needed to pay a firstborn, my financial peace, and all of my freedom, spiritual and emotional and physical in order to get into another minivan, right? And I was like, I'm going to have to say no to that one. <laughs> Praise the Lord and just keep the oil changes going. There's all kinds of invitations that we can do without that come through our mail, through the internet, through Facebook, all kinds of invitations. But then there are those special moments where you open up the mailbox and someone sends you an invitation that you can tell was uniquely made for you. Or you receive a phone call and a friend tells you, hey, we just want to have you over. We want to celebrate you. We're preparing this dinner for you. For me, I remember uh, as a, I was born in the Dominican Republic and I became a citizen of the United States in 2013. And I felt such an invitation from the United States government as I went into that courtroom and they celebrated me. I was the guest of honor as they were celebrating me becoming a citizen. That was a special invitation for me. So there are times where we receive special invitations and times where we receive invitations that aren't so special. But there is an invitation that is unique, that is made for you, that comes from God the Father, and that demands a response from us today. If you go with me to Matthew chapter 22, the scriptures read this way. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servant to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, 
Tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat cows, that's all plural, have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry. And he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. Hallelujah. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there was a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. Let's pray for the word today. Let's welcome his Holy Spirit, our wonderful counselor and teacher. Father, we continue to welcome you today. Even in the hearing of your word and in receiving it, we know that it's an act of worship. We pray that you give us ears to hear, Papa. That you give us eyes that see, Papa. We want to respond to you, O oh God. And so, Father, give us an ability to receive all that you have through your word. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Well, here you got this incredible portion of scripture where Jesus is doing what he does so great. He always teaches incredible kingdom principles through the art of storytelling. We call these parables, stories Jesus uses to illustrate kingdom truth. And in this parable, Jesus is really addressing God's people. This parable addresses God as king. And then it talks about God's people as those who respond well or do not respond well to his calling, to his invitation. The first guest represents the religious leaders of that time along with the Israelites, not only of that time but of past times who did not respond favorably to God but rather rejected him. And then the second guest represent the Israelites who did respond well to God alongside with the Gentiles and the outsiders and the outcasts and the misfits who were invited by him to celebrate in the joy of the king. As we read this parable, there's something that you and I cannot miss. And that is that God makes his invitation very clear. God makes clear his invitation. The king makes clear his invitation. Notice in this parable that the king is sending servants not as his first invite, but as a follow-up to an invitation that apparently had no response. Check out how we, we, we read that scripture and we realize, oh, there was an invitation already sent. We come to the parable and he's sending a second delegation of people that will go out to see what's going on. How come they're not responding to the first invitation? Notice the extravagant, radical, unheard of kindness and mercy and forgiveness of this king. When a king, when a king invites you, that's an honor. 
That's a privilege. That's a blessing. But it also, it also comes with weight. Back in ancient times, it's unheard of to think that a king has invited you in and that you have chosen to disregard, to not pay attention, to reject, or even mistreat his servants. That is not, that don't happen. Right? When a king invites you, obedience, obedience is expected. But notice that the king, instead of ruling with an iron fist or, or being tough or even judging as was his rightful duty, what does he do? He says, hey, guys, why don't you come out? I've killed so, there's so many oxen have been prepared, so many cows have been prepared. Everything has been prepared. And you know, the food had to be an extravagant display of the prosperity of the king. Because the king, kings of that time, would want to display their glory of their kingdoms. And so here is this king who's lavishing all these things and plans to lavish all these things on all his guests and guests who don't show up. And the food has a certain lifespan, so it has to be eaten or it will be wasted. They didn't show up. Some were more interested in their business. Some were more interested in their lives. And some even rejected the king altogether. Now, this represents God's move throughout all of the history of humanity. The call of God is one. Draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. The call of God is one. Search me with all your hearts, and you will find me. Seek me, and you will find me. Knock, and I'll answer. Ask, and you'll receive. And from generation to generation to generation, you find that God is calling a people who will seek after him. Moses let the people out of Egypt and throughout the miracles and the signs and the wonders that he performed, God was saying, notice me, seek me. Samuel the prophet brought stability to a people with a broken moral compass. And as he was establishing the rule of God, he was saying, he was teaching, God was speaking through him, notice me, seek me, draw near to me. Elijah performed incredible signs and wonders, and when fire came down from heaven to consume the falsehood that had taken over, it was God declaring, notice me, seek me, draw near to me. And on and on and on, the prophets, men and women of God who spoke for God, who pointed toward God, and the people rejected the people cursed, the people walked away, the people were so busy with their lifestyles. Today, just like God made his invitation clear to Israel, in our times he has made his invitation clear to us. Romans 1 tells us that God has made his invitation to us through nature. Paul would say, look at nature, look at everything that has been created. It points to the reality that there's an unseen world. It points to God and it should draw you near to him. 2 Timothy chapter 3 tells us that God also reveals himself not just through nature, but through his word. Paul says all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuke, and correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So today we hear God's invitation through nature. Today we hear God's invitation through the word. Today we hear God's invitation through his son, Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Right? 
That's, that is Jesus saying, draw near to the Father. And today we hear his invitation through the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, man, I have so much to tell you. But, but I have to go. When I leave, I'm going to give you something better. Whoa, that's crazy to me that, the whole, that Jesus would say that about the Holy Spirit. And he will come and he will instruct you. And the Spirit is called a counselor and a comforter and a teacher and a guide that leads us into all truth. So we have nature. We have the Word. We have the Son, Jesus Christ. We have the Holy Spirit. We have God's people. God's people who God uses to speak into our lives. And all, on and on and on, we can look at different ways that God tries to get our attention. As he's screaming out, would you draw near to me? Come and satisfy your, yourself with things that will really satisfy with eternal food that really brings life and nourishment. So I want us to pause for a moment. And I want you to ask yourself for a moment. If you have to close your eyes with me, but ask yourself for a moment. Ask yourself, the last week or maybe this year, how has God made his invitation clear to you? How has God clearly custom made an invitation saying to you, my son, my daughter, seek me and you will find me? What are the things that God is continuing to speak? What are the things that you notice are continuing to resonate? Maybe you need to recognize, you know, maybe that. That's God's invitation. God makes clear his invitation. Secondly, the response to the invitation is important. In the text we just read, the people were either too busy or hostile towards the invitation. Some went back to caring for their own businesses. As if to say, your invitation is not that important to me, God, or king. Some abused the servants who carried the invitation as if to say, I reject you as king over my life and I am at war with you. And Jesus again is referencing how Israel had responded to the multiple invitations that God had made so that people could draw near to him. They cared more for their business and their way of life to the point that they were willing to make God their enemy. Many are responding to God in the same way today. Some are saying, I'm just not interested in, in drawing near to God because my personal business is more important to me. My entertainment is more important to me. My agenda is more important to me. And this is the general attitude of our culture because we live in such a prosperous land. We are so prosperous, we have jobs, we have medicines, we have hope for the future, we live free. There are opportunities for us, we can increase in our wealth, and all these things are good. Praise God that he blesses us, but if we're not careful, God, God, those blessings that God gives us can turn into our own very chains. Chains that enslave us and keep us from saying yes to the will of God. There are so many who have plateaued into mediocrity, spiritually speaking, because they've received the blessing of God and it was good, and they got to that place where it's like, well, I'm good here. I'm good here. I don't need anything else. And some of us have forgotten that we've been saved again by the power of God. And he still desires to release and manifest his power through us. I remember going to Nicaragua on a mission trip. And there were so many people dealing with so many health issues. And we were just praying and praying for healing to take place. And God was healing. 
people, and it was just incredible. And I remember a man came up to me and told me that he had a serious situation. And he said, I was just wondering if he could pray for me. And I said, absolutely. You know, and making conversation, I said, so what does the doctor say? What, have you gone to the doctor? What does he have to say about all this? And he said, doctor? Why are you asking me about a doctor? Are you a man of faith? I said, yes, I am. I said, what kind of question is that? This man can afford a doctor. Middle of third world country. What he needs is the power of God, and it is his only recourse. Unfortunately, we have so many recourses that prayer has become, well, I guess the last thing we can do is pray. We have so many recourses that we forget the power of God that saved us. It's the same power that wants to lead us. Blessings can get in the way. Blessings can even draw us far from God. Psalm 2 says, the nations conspire against God and they say, let's throw off their chains and their fetters. Just let us do our thing. But they will stand in judgment one day. You see, there's a war taking place as we speak in the world and maybe even in our hearts. That war has to do with who reigns. The world is not interested in God. Because if there's a God, then that means that there's expectations. If there's expectations, it means that I have to live up by them. If I don't live by them, there means that I should expect appropriate consequences or judgment. And none of that is... None of that is a, a language that's acceptable today. But the question still remains. God is making his invitation clear. So how are we responding to God's invitation? Here's something that we're not going to see in Hallmark cards. There is judgment for those who reject them. I never got a birthday card. Happy birthday. <laughs> There's judgment if you reject them. Oh, praise the Lord. <laughs> not something that you will see. But do you know that judgment is a part of the Christian message? Do we know that judgment is a part of the Christian message? The Bible says in that scripture, in that parable that we just read, the king was angry and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. And then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. See, the God we serve is a God of justice, and we struggle seeing him as a God of justice because of multiple reasons. Number one, probably we've experienced unrighteous anger. Secondly, we have seen perverted justice. And also, we may not have a strong conviction uh, about what the Bible teaches us about sin and how wicked it is. But to accept the full counsel, to accept the full gospel, we have to accept the reality that there is judgment. Right? There is judgment. There's a book that I read called uh, Mortal, about being mortal, uh, written by a doctor who spent so much time just caring for people who were about to pass away. And he did a research to see how he can be a better doctor during that moment in their lives. And when he did that research asking patients, the patients basically said, and I'm paraphrasing, just give us all the information that we could possibly have so that we can have the dignity of making a decision on how we're going to move forward. 
So I, wanna, I, want you to ask, uh, I want you to ask yourself a question. Who's a good doctor and who's a wicked doctor? Is the good doctor the guy that says, you know what, this guy has a serious case of cancer, but I don't want to tell him that kind of news. It's just uncomfortable. It's going to get awkward in the room. I'm just going to tell him to go and do his thing. There's not much we can do anyway. So I'm just going to tell him, hey, come see me in a month. We'll talk later. Would you consider that wickedness? Absolutely. It's not the good doctor, the one that says, listen, you're really battling with this very serious issue. And these are the different possibilities of things that we can do. In my experience in doing this for 20 years or however many years, it seems to me that the average lifespan could possibly be barred from a miracle, these things. But it's really up to you. You got some decisions to make. Is that person not the good doctor? My friends, we have the same responsibility with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have the same responsibility with the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are some people who need to hear the truth, that there is a God who's coming, who makes this invitation clear, wants you to draw near to him, but there are things in our lives that are unacceptable that he demands that we put to the side because he's worthy of them. He's worthy of us putting those things to the side. The full gospel demands that we recognize if we follow the full counsel of scripture that there is judgment. God is kind and gentle and patient and merciful and absolutely forgiven. He is also righteous and just and the judge of the world. And we have a responsibility to share the whole truth, not just the truth our culture is comfortable hearing, but the truth that changes lives. The truth that changes lives. I will not compromise. I can let myself believe. That if I water down the gospel, people will receive the message that I bring. I find that comical. The Christ died for me so I can live comfortable. The truth is not optional. I'm not the kind of artist that wants to gain for self instead of reaping God the harvest. Let us be honest. I'm not trying to be an alarmist. But if I am the light, how could I blend in with the darkness? I'm not accepted not because I lack love in my words, but because my words carry love past the outer courts of the eyes of a man and the mind of a man. I remind every man of the lies of Satan, and I stand in the land where truth is absolute no matter what the reason, no matter what the crisis, and no matter what the season. So I'll preach to ghetto children and to leaders in position the same Jesus, the only hope outside of the road to perdition. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. In this crazy turn of events, as the original guests rejected the king's invitation, something else happens that's very radical. Clearly we see in this parable, no matter who we are or where we come from or what we've experienced, we're invited. Isn't that good news? Come on, anybody happy about that? We are invited. It says, go to the byways and the highways, just get them in here. They're not going to celebrate with me? Fine, I'm going to find the people that will celebrate, them, celebrate with me. And they bring them in, people who come from all kinds of backgrounds, who probably have all kinds of illnesses, who, who have all kinds of issues. They are invited to participate in the celebration of the king. Nothing, can I say this to you? 
nothing hinders you from running after God. If you're here right now, I believe with all of my heart, as I've been praying all of this time since months ago when the Lord gave me this message for this church, I believe that God had a, would have a people here he wanted to invite to, to have communion with him, to do life with him, to draw near to him, to hear his voice. There is nothing your Father in heaven desires for you more than you being able to hear his voice because his sheep hear his voice. The Lord wants you to experience his presence. He wants you to know nearness. And he makes it possible. He has sent his word out and he calls you in. So I just want to encourage you, no matter what you're struggling with, no matter, no matter what sin beset you, what struggle you face this moment, the Lord says, you are invited to take part. But here's the deal. You are invited, but you're expected to get dressed for the occasion. We're all invited. God invites us to be a part of what he's doing, but he invites us and he expects us to get dressed for the occasion. The invitation came with an expectation that you would dress for the occasion. Now if you notice, here's this portion of scripture where the king goes into the guest room and he sees people there in the dining room and he sees somebody who's not dressed appropriately. And at first I was kind of offended with this. Like, why are you going to invite people who don't have any means and then get mad at them because they're dressing crazy? Like, you know, what's the deal with that? They can't afford it. You invited them. This makes no sense. And then I started to study the text. Did you know that in ancient cultures, when a king would make an invitation, the king will also provide robes and garments for his guests to wear? So they were invited they were taken care of and also given garments so that no one would feel out of place. So that no one would feel like they don't mess her up. They were given garments so that they could participate in the great celebration. You know that you have been given a garment by your Father in heaven. He's given you a garment of grace. Praise God for that grace. It is an umbrella that covers you, but it is also an umbrella, it is also a shower that cleanses you. The Bible tells us in Titus chapter 2, for the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness as we wait for his revealing. The word of God, Peter says, do not live like the world, put away these childish things. And Paul would say in Colossians, put off the works of the flesh and put on righteousness. So that's the work you and I do. God calls us to put off things and put on things. Colossians 3, 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in your sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil, desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. The language there is put off. You and I have that responsibility. 
Well, Pastor Lois, I've just been waiting for the Holy Ghost to get a hold of me. Maybe I just show up at the altar one time and it'll just happen instantaneously. <laughs> Hallelujah. If, if somebody tell me how to get that that way. I would love it. Wouldn't we love it that way? Can I get an amen? Dr. Mark Rutland would say to us, you know what? This is what he would say when he would preach on character from Southeastern University from the pulpit over and over again. He says, I want you to, I want you to know I preach on character because some demons we're going to be able to rebuke out. But some demons you're going to have to learn to starve out. God is calling us to put to death the work of the flesh. And that's a work that we do by putting on Colossians 3.12. As God's chosen one, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. Over and over again, the scripture calls us. There's a job, there's an expectation. We're supposed to put off the things of the world and put on the things that reflect the kingdom of God. It is our job to grow in the character of Christ. I find it interesting that the king looks at his guest and looks at this guest who wasn't dressed appropriately. And he said, friend, as if to say, I've provided everything for you. How did you enter into this dining room without what I've provided for you? Huh? Why did you come here not dressed appropriately? And he was speechless. What would we say to God if he said to us, friend, why haven't you taken off your sin when I've provided grace for you? My son and my daughter, why haven't you taken off gossip when I've provided grace for you? My son and my daughter, why haven't you put off covetousness when I've provided contentment for you? My son and my daughter, why haven't you put off immorality when I've provided my truth for you? My son and my daughter, why, why haven't you put a, fi a filthy mouth from you when I provided for you how to speak life? And I've shown you that through my word. My son and my daughter, why haven't you put off pornography when I've entrusted to you my truth? I've called you to make a covenant with your eyes. My son and my daughter, why haven't you put off pride? God forbid we find ourselves in that place because the truth of the matter is just like them, we would find ourselves speechless. You want to know why? Because God's grace is enough. God's grace is enough for each and every one of us. So again, I'll read and we'll conclude Titus 2.11 says this. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that is his very own, eager to do good. Would you stand with me today? There is an invitation that has been sent out by the King. Our God and King, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, 
Holy Spirit is inviting us to relationship with him. And no matter where we find ourselves today, what sin we have struggled with, what challenges we have had in our lives, the truth is this, he invites us all. And I thank God for the word of God that says this, when we come to him and we trust in him and we put our faith in him as our Savior and Lord, it says that the old things pass away and all things become new. So if this moment, if today is the day where you say yes to Jesus for the very first time, I want you to know that here is what the word of God says will happen in your life. God will give you a new heart. God will fill you with his Holy Spirit. And he will strengthen you to begin to love and have an appetite for goodness and for righteousness. That doesn't mean that you won't struggle with sin. It means that you'll begin to hate that sin. To the point that you're willing to fight against that sin all the days of your life. So that you walk in the purity that God has intended for you. And you'll begin to have an appetite for the things that God desires in your life. This is God's desire for you. The Bible says that he will write your name in the Lamb's book of life. And instead of, of fearing judgment or being afraid of what it would be when you see him face to face, you can live with a hopeful expectation that one day you'll hear him say, my good and faithful servant, enter into my rest. It's God's desire for each and every one of us. So if today you say yes to the Lord, the Lord says to you, I receive you as you are. Second, maybe you're here today and you say, well, pastor, I've been a Christian. And I want to believe that old things pass away and all things become new. But I still struggle. I still struggle. Am I not saved? There's just something wrong with me. Sometimes I feel like I hit the knees and then I get back up and I hit my knees and I'm falling over and over again. Am I, am I out? Let me just encourage you here. The walk of faith is the constant scraping of the knees. The walk of faith is not a freedom from sin. You know, there's gonna, it, it, there is freedom from the lordship of sin, but we still deal with sin. There's still temptation. We will still fall short, but there has to be a tenacity that we nurture in our spirit that says we want to be done with sin. There has to be this fight in us that says, you know, I'm going to fight against this because I believe that God desires this to not be a part of my life. Any, any football fans here today? There used to be an old football player that played for the Buccaneers. He was a fullback named Allstott. And he was a massive brute of a man. But every time he would move forward, something that stuck with me as I was watching a game, the announcer said, you know, there's something special about Allstott. He always falls forward. You're going to tackle him, but he's always going to gain yards because he's always falling forward. The Holy Spirit got a hold of my attention and he said, that's what I want you to do. Sometimes you're going to fall short, but I need you to learn to fall forward. I need you to learn to fall forward. You fell okay. Come after me with repentance. Come after me with accountability. Confess your sins and be healed. Start strategizing about how you're not going to fall again. Think about the patterns that you need to break. But I need you to learn to fall forward because I have made you new. I've given you a new appetite. But you got to keep flesh on the cross. Amen. So maybe you're here today. I want to encourage your fight, brothers and sisters. 
put off the things of the flesh and put on righteousness. God has provided you grace. You can do it. He has given you everything that you need for life and godliness. So let us get dressed for the occasion. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Hallelujah. Would you begin to give thanks to God in your own words? Just lift up your voice and say thank you for your mercy and your grace, Father. Thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Would you begin to say, I want to say yes to the invitation. I say yes to your invitation, Father. There is no business more important than saying yes to you. are praying right now today you sense Jesus calling you and you've not given your life to the Lord today is a great day of salvation today you don't have to worry about judgment you don't have to worry about impending judgment or fearing like God feeling like God is against you today if you say yes to Jesus recognize that you're a sinner in need of a savior he meets you with grace. He dresses you with grace. He calls you his own. And he gives you a hopeful expectation of eternity. So if you're here today and you're saying, today I say yes to Jesus, my Lord and Savior, would you raise your hand right where you're at? Amen. Amen. Father, for those who are here, I don't know if there are, but you know those who may be raising their hands before you, turning before you, I thank you for salvation. I thank you that your blood is powerful enough to wash away all our sins. I thank you that your spirit is powerful enough to come in and break the walls. I thank you that your blood brings us into adoption as son, sons and daughters. I thank you that your blood and your grace is powerful enough to erase all the shame and all the guilt the devil may want to thrust upon us in the name of Jesus Christ. So today I thank you for salvation. I thank you, God, for new beginnings. I thank you, Father God, for a complete work. Thank you for their names being written in the Lamb's book of life. And thank you, God, for a new heart with new appetites with a longing to seek hard after you. We celebrate you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Maybe you're here and you're saying, Pastor, I'm going to get dressed for the occasion. I realize that there are things uh, today that the Lord is calling me to put off and things that I need to put on. Today I want to respond to that invitation and realize that's me. I realize the things that God is dealing with me in and, and I want to respond and say, Lord, I respond to your invitation. Thank you. Thank you for reminding me that I need to get dressed for the occasion. If that's you, would you raise your hand right where you're at? We raise our hands and we put off the works of the flesh. We put off covetousness and lying and gossip and pornography. Anger that's out of control. We put it off. Selfishness. God, we put off these things. We nail these things to the cross. Entertainment to the point that we have no relationship with you. We just put off these things. Thank you for leading us by the power of your Holy Spirit to respond to you. 
we put off these things. And Lord, we put on righteousness. We put on righteousness and peace and joy and contentment. We put on righteousness, peace, and joy, and contentment. Come on, just lay your hand on your heart and say, Lord, teach me to put on righteousness, peace, and joy, and contentment. Just say, Holy Spirit, I give you permission to coach me that I may learn the ways of the kingdom. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, Holy Spirit, I give you permission to coach me, to teach me the things that I ought to say yes to and no to. Be my coach. Be my guide. Thank you, Lord. Father, we love you. We thank you. We yield all these things to you. Papa, thank you for teaching us to hear your voice even more so. And we can't wait for the day where we'll hear you say, my good and faithful servant, enter into my rest. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Can we bless God this morning?